Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. God, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you will open it up and open us up this morning, that it will um, move into our hearts, it will change us, but we ask that the Holy Spirit will uh, take, um, take these words and apply them to our various situations and needs here this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John chapter 4. If you want to follow along. John chapter 4, starting in verse 43 and 44. After the two days, he left for Galilee. Verse 44. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Straight out of the gates, we are met with Jesus and a little bit of application. So we don't even get sermon or story first. We just get application first. Do you know that sometimes by pleasing everybody around you all the time, some of us are addicted to that, right? By pleasing all the people around us all the time, making sure everybody around us, uh, that they're happy. In doing that, sometimes what you end up doing is not carrying out the very specific mission that Jesus, that the Lord has put on your life. If you came to me and you said, Jared, my son needs tutored in algebra. And I looked at you and I said, I'm here to serve. Listen, Two things are going to happen. I'm going to neglect my responsibilities on the week, and your child is going to flunk algebra. That's what's going to happen. It's not a thing for me. I'll have to look you in the face and say, I took it twice. <laughs> and, and it didn't go well the second time either. But the guy was like, whatever. <laughs> go. This is not a thing I should do for you. I can't just make you happy in that situation. It's not my role just to make you happy. Sometimes when we spend all of our time making people happy, we neglect the mission that God has asked us to do. And here's what else happens. You get in the way of the thing that God has asked them to do. Sometimes telling people no is one of the most spiritual things you can do. What has that got to do with this? Here's what it's got to do with. A prophet is not welcome in his hometown. You know who's in your hometown? your family and your friends who are the hardest people in the world to tell no to mm. family and friends it's hard it's difficult what Jesus says is prophet is not welcome it, the word is honored he is not honored he is not valued in his hometown well that's always that's always the case Oops. that's always the case at one point Jesus is preaching and teaching and they said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Mary and Joseph, the carpenter? And this is what we do. We like to go back and say, I remember him when he was a kid. I remember when he was a kid. Anytime I do a wedding that's here local, one of the things I try to do is pull this person out of their context and tell the entire, uh, all the guests, all the wedding guests, tell them who this person is apart from their context. This is now a woman. This is not your niece. This is not your friend. This is not your daughter. This is not somebody you went to 4-H with. 
This is a woman who is now making her own choices. This is a man who is no longer, hey, that's bub, you know. This is a grown man making grown man decisions. And I try to pull that out of that context so that people can see them, even for just a second, that they are something different. It's hard. Think about this. If, you're if you just decided, I'm going to start telling everybody the truth all the time, no matter what, it would be easier to go to a different town, wouldn't it? Because there's going to be people you're going to be like, I can't tell them the truth. My husband will get fired. I'll get fired. I won't be invited to Christmas. Like, this is going to be, it would be easier just to move. Sometimes it's just, it's difficult. It's difficult. And being a Christian is that thing, learning how to face that deal, hold on to that truth. What is the thing that God asks you to do? Right out of the gates, we get application. But Jesus wasn't going to be distracted by anybody else's request or demand. He wasn't going to be distracted by any of that. What he's going to do is he's going to continue to carry out God's plan. And God's plan is not just a localized version. The Jews understood this to be a message for the Jews. God and the Jews go together. You can join us, but you're going to be kind of a less than and kind of on the outside. We are the real sons and daughters of God. That's really who we are. You can join us, but you're not real. You're just adopted. Jesus came along and he's got, I got a new message. I got this message. It's the same message, but it's kind of got, maybe it's bigger than you thought it was initially. Oh, really? How big? Uh, I'm headed to Samaria. Oh, what else? I'm going to talk to a woman. Okay. And she's a harlot. Okay, Jesus. Are you serious? That's how big the message is. That's an awfully big message, Jesus. Jesus wasn't going to be distracted. In fact, here's what you see. John chapter 1, he wins the loyalties of all the blue-collar workers in Galilee. And he calls, these, he calls these disciples to join him, and they join him. In John chapter 2, he ministered to the wedding guests in Cana. John chapter 3, he educates a high-ranking Pharisee about the true intention and meaning of God's message. John chapter 4, he turns this broken-hearted Samaritan woman into an evangelist. And she becomes a minister to her hometown in Sychar. Now here he is, and he's talking to somebody different. When he arrived in Galilee, verse 45, chapter 4, verse 45, when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They said, or they had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they had also been there. So when Jesus was down at the... Uh, Passover in Jerusalem, remember when he went through and he cleansed the temple and he turned over the tables and he ran the sheep and the cows and everything else out into the street. These people who were in Galilee at the time, who were in Jerusalem at the time, went from Judea all the way back up to Galilee and the stories of Jesus and what he did there beat him back to Galilee. And so now the streets are buzzing with all of this information about Jesus. You should have seen what he did. You should have seen who he healed. You should have seen what he said to the elite. That's beautiful. When somebody squares away one of the one percenters, awesome. That's awesome. Somebody steps in. Did you see, and this is completely, it doesn't matter, and this is not a political statement. Did you happen to see the Kid Rock thing? Him leaving the White House? Anybody? No? I love, this was just so fun. And I'm not a huge Kid Rock fan. There's a whole lot about this situation that I didn't like. But Kid Rock is walking from the White House, and somebody said something about, 
did so-and-so get fired? And Kid Rock just turns around and says, you should get fired. <laughs> and off he goes. And it's just like, I love to see people who are in those elite positions say something, and then somebody else who's down at the bottom, like I care, you know? And these people are there, and they're just like, oh, you're not going to believe what he said. You're going to believe how he acted, how he treated these people. It was absolutely beautiful, so good. Streets of Galilee are buzzing. Jesus comes through Samaria, and he gets back to Galilee, and he's in Cana, the very same place where he turned water into wine. People remember that, and they're sharing stories back and forth, but you remember when he turned the water into wine, right? Like, that was cool. Yeah, that was cool, but you should, you should have seen what he did in Jerusalem. The water to wine, that was like, he did that in the back room. Just all of a sudden, there was no wine, and there's wine. But this deal, like, the guy was lame, completely lame, could not move at all, and he got up. Not only that, he carried his walker and all of his equipment and his IV and, his and all his other stuff, carried it home. Wow, telling these stories. And then Jesus gets there and the Galileans welcome him. Oh, Jesus, it's so good to see you. It must have been a warm response. Jerusalem was different. When he was in Jerusalem. He went through cleansing the temple and everybody wanted to know, what gives you the authority to do this? Who do you think you are? Oh, you're just going to show up, just march yourself into Jerusalem, right in here into the temple, turn over all this stuff that we've been working on and doing? Who are you? You know what? In fact, if you can do a miracle right here on the spot, then we'll believe you. Gets there to the Galileans, and the Galileans are like, we're just glad you're back. Can't believe you came back. Just glad you're back. Samaria was very similar. They were a little skeptical at the beginning, but they came and they finally ended up getting to the conclusion, you know what? He's got to be the savior of the world. Jesus didn't do a miracle one there. He looked at a woman and he said, uh, you've had five wives, I mean, you've had five husbands and the guy you're with now is not your husband. Again, it was just a private conversation. Everybody else came out, listened to him teach and were like, you must be the savior of the world. And he gets to the Galilee and it's a, well, it's a warm welcome. You know what, this is kind of an encouraging verse to me because you read through scripture, it's not very often Jesus gets a warm welcome. And when he does, it's typically for weird reasons, you know? Jesus, Jesus, we love you, we love you. Oh, and we're hungry too. Got any, got any snacks? Jesus, we love you, we love you. And, 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 and my, my kids are demon-possessed, you know? Which some of us sometimes say too, don't we? And they follow him for the wrong reasons. They want to they be around him for the wrong reasons. And then gets, gets to Galilee, and it's just so nice. But there's a man about 27 miles away. The Sea of Galilee looks kind of like Africa on a map. It's kind of got this shape. Up at the very top of it, it's only seven miles across, I think 11 miles down or 12 miles down, something like that. At the very tip top of the Sea of Galilee is this town called Capernaum. It's kind of a hilly area, some kind of high, not mountain, mountain, but really, really beautiful. And it's up at the very north tip. So if you lived there, you looked out over the top of the entire Sea of Galilee. Just a beautiful, beautiful place. 27 miles away, there's a guy who is a royal official. We don't know his name. Just says royal official. Literally, the Greek is a king's man. This means that he's, he's in the entourage of King Herod. And so this guy is kind of an important guy. He's one of the king's men. If you saw him, you're like, that's one of the king's men. When he come walking through, you kind of moved out of the way. My bad, excuse me. One of the king's men. This is an important, important guy. It says that he shows up because he has a son who is sick. 
Later on, we learn that he's down with fever. Well, the infant mortality rate at this time in the first century Palestine is about 33%. So to make it past that was considered like, I mean, not doing bad. That's good. That's a blessing in and of itself to live past infancy. And now we got this kid, and we don't know how old he is. But you know what sickness at this time and in, in, in this day and age, back then, sickness ended in death, and they knew it, and they saw the symptoms often, and they knew when something was close to death. And this guy has done everything he could possibly do. You know what's interesting to me is that I imagine it's very similar to me when, when situations come up and it's complicated and it puts me in a, puts me in a tough spot. I always tend to run to my own strengths first before ever going to God. I want to exhaust all my other stuff first, all my persuasiveness, all my manipulation, my money, uh, my power, my who I know, my networking. I want to do whatever I can do to kind of fix my situation now. And I imagine this guy's probably no different. He's a royal official. Listen, he's got a great job. He lives at the tip top piece of Capernaum, right there at the, at the Sea of Galilee. Got a beautiful home, probably has a beautiful wife. Got this young little guy running around the house. He probably works a lot of hours. He's important. He's made a lot of money. But all the money and all the power and all the authority that he has, he can do nothing about his current situation. And you know one of the things that really frustrates me about God sometimes? That. Just that. That he's really kind of got us, you know? Like there's really nothing you can do. Like there's certain situations you could do something. If you can do something about your situation, you should do it. Don't be lazy, do it. But there's other situations, guess what? You can do nothing and we're all at his mercy. And that's it. Because he could come and he could show up and he could let things happen. And we could just stand there and be like, I got, I got nothing. I got nothing for this. And we'll exhaust our money and exhaust our friendships and we'll do everything we can do and we'll call the doctors that we know who are our friends and we'll text them and we'll get them to be on our side and do a thing for us, you know? With this, what about this? We'll call people in the middle of the night. And this guy's done everything he can do. Imagine what he's probably exhausted his money on. Just probably normal medication already, right? Then probably spiritual gurus, priests, calls them on the phone. Would you pray? Would you, would you personally pray for my kid? Would you come and do a thing? I don't even know what kind of thing you would do. It's a chicken foot and uh, mix it up and I don't know. I have newt or something. You know, mix whatever it is. Do something to make this kid better. He's probably exhausted everything. All the way to exotic medicines. Nothing's helping. Mm. Nothing's helping. You see the bedside table, right? Covered in little orange little orange bottles none of them helping these vials of medicine that they keep telling him to take these herbs and these teas they keep telling him to drink and he's weak and he's fading and he's just melting away and as the night goes on he gets worse and worse and worse have you been in that situation with your child to where you look at him and nothing is making it better you can't give him any more ibuprofen you cannot give it to him you can't you've already reached the limit and you just sit there and you look at them and they just melt and they're just sweating and they're hot and you hope the fever will break and then, then they're cold and it's just like, this is, this is terrible and, and somebody's got that terrible idea. Put them in a cold bath, right? Nothing makes you feel worse, to, like a worse parent than putting your child in a cold bath. 
It's like, oh, just in that terrible, terrible spot. He's got you. I'm not saying he does it. I'm just saying he's got you. Because now you're in a place to where you got nothing. You're weak. You're useless. You can do nothing. I hate that feeling. I like to think of myself as a really, you know, self-sufficient individual. You know? I hate those situations to where I'm at the mercy of something else. I hate it. And this man is at that place. He's done it all. He's gone everywhere. He's called in favors. He's a king's man. What's interesting is we don't find out how he heard about Jesus. We don't know. But somebody told him. Somebody came in and said, Sir, look, I know you're in a really bad situation, and I know you've thought of everything. And if you know people who've been sick, or if you've been somebody who's been sick or had a child that's sick, people have a lot of advice for you when you're sick, don't they? Always. You know what you should do? You should, you should drink donkey milk. I heard that's good for asthma. Like, okay, thank you very much. You got a donkey? No, no, I'm just saying I read it on the internet. Okay, thank you. Go on. You know? It's just the stuff that people come up with. Everybody's got some good advice for you. Oh, Jared, I see you're kind of short. Did you drink a lot of coffee when you were little? Is that the problem? What are you talking about? People's always got some good, good advice for you. You know? Oh, I know what your problem. Oh, I know. You know what you should do? You know what you should do? He's probably so sick and tired of hearing it. So maybe somebody come up to him and he's like, look, I know everybody's giving you advice, but I don't know what this guy does, but I saw him do something one time, and he's just up the road in Cana. It's 27 miles from here. What's it going to hurt you 27 miles? And the man's at that place, that place of, what do you do? What's it going to hurt at this point? Packs up and he goes, 27 miles. And my guess is he goes by chariot. I don't know. Doesn't say. He's a king's man. Maybe he whipped that horse all the way to Cana. 27 solid miles. Doesn't even care if he kills it. He's just getting there. All he can think about is his boy. All he can think about are the regrets. I worked too many hours. I was gone too much. I got annoyed at all the, you know how kids are loud, right? I got annoyed at kids being loud. Shouldn't have. Now my pride and joy, the things that I love in life, that, that reprioritizing thing that happens in your life to where you all of a sudden get to that place of like, I don't care about that anymore at all. Be loud. Spill Kool-Aid on whatever you want to spill Kool-Aid on. Just come back to life. He's racing all the way there, and he gets all the way to Capernaum. I mean, all the way to Canaan. And when he gets there, there's this crowd that's already surrounded Jesus, and they're in good spirits, and they're laughing, and they're joking, and they're telling stories, and they're hugging Jesus, and Jesus is hugging little kids. He's touching broken people. He's speaking these comforting words. And then from the back, the crowd just begins to part because people kind of recognize, like, oh, that's kind of new. What's somebody from the court of Herod here for? That's kind of weird. All of a sudden, the crowd just kind of parts. But he doesn't look like a king's man. He looks a little tattered. Looks like he'd been up late at night. Robes a little, little dusty, like he's been bugs all in, his, all in his face, you know? Like a motorcycle ride, just bugs. And he comes walking in from the back, and people are just kind of like, who's this guy? Oh, excuse us. Yeah, go right on ahead. He's making his way to Jesus. 
you don't know what's about to happen. And Jesus sees him. The man gets all the way to him and he just falls down on his knees and he grabs a hold of Jesus' robe and he says, look, my son is sick. My son's sick. And I need you to come and see him. Come to Capernaum. I need you to come and see him and see if there's something you can do before he dies. It's always interesting to me. Jesus is kind of like a cat, you know? If you back him in a corner, you really don't know what's going to happen next, you know? Like it may just turn its head and go away. It may just be real calm. It may come out all teeth and claws on you, you know? You never know with Jesus because that's kind of how he is. He's the Lion of Judah, you know? Sometimes he'll just back up. Sometimes he'll come out ferocious and you don't know what's going to happen. And I love those moments when he's just so sympathetic when he meets him at that place. Woman, where are your accusers? She said, they've left. He said, then I don't accuse you either. Oh, I love those moments. But then there's those other moments, right? This man's on his knees, grabbing a hold of Jesus. He's at the end of his rope. He's desperate. Tears probably streaming down his dirty face. Please come, please come to Capernaum so my son will live. Jesus' response, oh, unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, you'll never believe, will you? That is not the Jesus I know. Jesus I know, feathered hair. Like this, you know? But this one, who is this guy? Unless you see miraculous signs and wonders, you'll never believe. He doesn't just say it out loud to the crowd. He says it to the man. It says, and he says to the man. Sometimes Jesus does a thing to where we think we're at the end of our rope, and then we realize we're really not at the end of our rope. We are still self-reliant. Here's the problem with the question. Will you come to Capernaum? And Jesus said, you still got too many barriers in there of understanding who I really am. What do you mean? I believe that you can heal my son. Yeah, but you believe I have to be there to do it. You, you don't have to be there. I don't, you don't have to be there to do it. And the man begs again, please come down to Capernaum and heal my son. Please come. Before he dies. He says, my child, before my child dies. But what's interesting is he uses a word. He uses a word that he didn't use the first time he talked to Jesus. The first time he talked to Jesus, he just says, it just says that he come and he begged him to come. But the second time that this man speaks, well, the first time I guess we hear him speak, but the second time that he requests it, he uses a word in the beginning. Do you see the word? How does he refer to Jesus? Sir. Sir. Would you please come to Capernaum and heal my son? Oh, unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, you will never believe. Sir, the word is Lord, Master. Look, only you can fix this. Only you. I can't fix this. I can do nothing for this situation. I'm at the end of me. You are the Lord. I am just nothing. And I need you to come with me. And Jesus says, you may go. 
There's something in there for us. You see, I love the fact that Jesus is my Savior. Love the fact that he's my Savior. That I put my faith in him and that he saved me, that he's redeemed me, that he's taken all of my poor qualities and has found a way to take them and turn them and turn them into something positive. I love that about him. I love that he's my Savior. It's just frustrating sometimes when he wants to be my Lord. Because he, you know, he saved me, and so now I should be in charge of stuff, right? Now I should run stuff. Because, I mean, he saved me, and so now I should be in charge, right? But it seems as if he's asking something more. I need to be your Lord. It's just like this chipping away. It's just hacking away. And I think I'm at the place of saying, all right, Lord, you have every bit of me. And then a situation will come up and I'm just panicking. And I'm like, this was a small thing. And I just had a panic attack about it. I have no faith. Lord, I trust you. I'm doing so good in my walk with you. I'm just staying the straight and narrow. That's on Tuesday. On Wednesday, it's a mess. Absolute mess. Doesn't take long. I think I'm there. I think I'm doing good. The problem is I haven't made him my Lord. Oh, he's my Savior, but he's just, I haven't made him my Lord. It's hard for me to keep him in that spot. Sometimes I think I'm him. Like, I'll be Lord. I'll call the shots. I'm useless. I'm useless. Absolutely useless. Jesus looks at him and he says, You may go. Your son will live. Imagine that decision right there. Like this guy just came 27 miles away. All the way there to beg Jesus to come back with him so that you could touch him, do something with him. And he says, if I'm, if I'm this man? And Jesus says, you may go. Your son will be fine. Really? How do I know? Are you sure you don't want to come? My wife makes good lasagna. You should come. We'll eat dinner. I mean, I'm sure it's fine, but maybe just in case. And he's at that place that he's got to make a decision. This is the thing that's crazy to me about faith. Is the scripture says in Romans, I can't remember where it is, Romans 12, I don't remember, Romans 12, 3, 12, 8, something like that. That every man, every man has been given a portion of faith. You've all been given a portion of faith. The ability to trust God. Every person on the planet has been given the ability to trust God. The playing field is even. Everyone has the ability to trust in God. Here's the problem. Some of us just don't want to be wrong. Some of us know that that's going to cost us even more if we begin to trust Him now. I want to trust Him. I want to. I want to trust Him in everything. And I trust Him with my salvation. But I trust Him with my salvation and I trust Him with my life because there wasn't really a lot of other options as far as it went with me becoming a decent person. It was like Jesus or nothing, you know? Jesus or jail. Like we, it was pretty slim, you know? Like this is what we got. This is what we're working with. I can, I can thank Him for that. But now that I'm all right, I think I'm in charge. Now I got to choose. This man's on his knees. He's got to choose. 
Does he take Jesus at his word? Does he just look him in the face and say, okay. All, every ounce of self-reliance is thrown completely out the window at this point. What else does he have? What else does he have? Is there another option? Is there a, or you can? No. What can I do, Jesus? Will you please come? No, you may go. Your son will live. Here's the option you get. Believe him. Believe him. I've said it before. You drive down the highway with a 2,000, 3,000 pound vehicle coming straight at you. You're in one just the same and you pass inches between each other, right? It's somewhere in your How many cars have you passed in your lifetime? How many do you think? Who knows? Thousands? Millions? How many cars have you driven by and just never even thought about the fact that they're going to just move right over there beside you, get too close, going to bang mirrors? No one. We just trust that it's going to be fine. You choose to believe that. You just choose to believe it. It's just at some point you were in your driver's ed car with your driver's ed teacher or with your mom or your dad or, or somebody and they looked at you and they said, uh, you just need to stay on this side. Don't swerve over in the ditch every time a car comes. You, you've seen these, right? Every time a car comes, like, oh, like, oh. Like, stay in your lane, please. Stay in your lane. I'm going to use my brake. Stay in your lane. At some point, you just choose to believe it. And then here Jesus is. He puts it right on this man. Choose to believe that he's healed. Go home. I don't know what I would do. Jesus, Jesus might get the headlock. You're going with me. Get in the chariot now. I need to know. And it says this man took Jesus at his word. This is cool because this is John's reintroduction to the first word he used when he opened up the gospel. In the beginning was the word. This is the logos. This is the embodiment of an idea. This is the inseparable blendedness of words and actions. Jesus is the creationist. Creatornist. The, he is both this thing that appeared to us and he was, we were created through him. He's this mystical word that is also action. There's no line between what he says and what he does. When he says it, it's done. And he looks at the man and he says, you may go. Your son is well. Now. Now. And it says he takes him at his logos. Do you know that the Lord speaks to you? And you hear it clearly. Whether it's inside. You know that, that, that conscience. The Holy Spirit. That, that nudging. That that mental thing that you just, it's just clear. Or an audible voice, that's never been a thing for me. I've never heard that, but I've heard the inside part. I'm like, this is just right. It comes with so much peace, doesn't it? It comes with so much peace and so much comfort. And you know that you are just right where you need to be. It's just this peace and this comfort of like, he said it and it's going to be okay. Your circumstances didn't change. Everything inside the square is still broken. But somehow you're not. And his word just comes in and creates something new inside of you. And that's what we talked about. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. 
John 6, 63, I've talked about this a million times. It's one of my favorites. It's this whole idea, the words that I've spoken to you are spirit and they are life. We are created in the image of God and when we speak, we create. What are you creating? What are you making on the day-to-day? What are you making on Facebook, huh? Making something good on Facebook? Mixing up a good batch of something good on Facebook? Mixing up something bad, yeah. Put some stuff on there, maybe you're like, I'm gonna say some stuff, I'm gonna, I'm gonna build something, a guillotine, that's what I'm gonna build today. Build some corrals, some hammers, some, some weapons. What are we building at home? What are we building with our words? Here we are in that place. We have to take him at his word. It says the man left. On his way home, he encounters his servants who've been at the house. They are now halfway there. I doesn't, we don't know how far. But he sees them. And imagine what's going through his mind when he sees them. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Go home. No. I don't want to know and I don't want to see it and I don't want to hear it. No, 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 no. I'm holding on. He said, my son will live. I don't and before his imagination can get too carried away they come running up and he can see there's something about them that's okay like they're like they're light like they're it's almost they're running with excitement like you're not gonna come on come on come on like this is good news this isn't and it wouldn't come if he just maybe turned the corner like oh he's feeling well he had some soup and Sprite you know not like that. he's up he's out of bed not eating saltines. He wants a burger, you know? This guy's like, I want potatoes. I want mashed potatoes. He is on, he's on his feet. He's moving. He's, they wouldn't have reported if he were just, well, it's gone down a degree or two. No, no, no. He's got to be better. You don't go interrupt the king's man. You don't tell him. He's better and then get home and it's worse. The kid's better. But then something is cool and it gives us a little insight into this guy. It says that he looks at them and he says, when did he get well? Now that's cool. And I'll tell you why that's cool. Because so many times I will beg God for something and then he will do it and I won't even say thank you. Let alone investigate it. Let alone ask any questions about it. Let alone go back and be like, God, how did you line that up? So I ask on a Tuesday, and then on a Wednesday this happened, and on a Thursday you answered it, and on Friday I needed it. Oh, that was brilliant. I ask him for stuff, dear Lord, please, please. And he does it, and it's a week later, and I'm like, hey, thanks for that deal. I don't even remember what it all was, but thanks for that deal. And this man looks at them, and he said, when did this happen? I need to know. Something about that guy is really, really crazy. What time did it happen? They said it happened at the seventh hour. Yesterday. He says, that's when I was talking to Jesus. Right then. He said it, and then it happened. See, here's the deal. Localized religion was normal at the time. If you wanted to go see God or worship God, not see God, but worship God or be around God, do you know where you went? Jerusalem. Do you know where you had to go? To the temple. Where's God live? in the temple you want to be around God you got to go to the temple you can worship him at home you can honor him with your life at home you can live your life in a good way you can pray at home you can do all that but when you go to the temple now 
You're with God. Yes, God is everywhere, but God's not everywhere. Everywhere he is, this is where he is, you know, there. Localized religion, localized worship. It was this way for everyone. All gods, this is where they had temples set up everywhere for all kinds of gods. And what this guy just learned was this. Jesus was here and there. This guy's different. You can't be here and there unless you are him. You can't be here and there. That's omnipresent. You you don't get to just be everywhere at once unless unless you're him. And it says it was right then at the the seventh hour, one o'clock in the afternoon, right when he showed up and started talking to Jesus. One o'clock in the afternoon, you may go. Your son will live. He lived that same hour. You know what it says? This is so cool. The father realized, verse 53, the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and all of his household believed. What's your biggest problem? This guy thought his biggest problem was the sickness. This sick boy. And when a kid gets sick, there's absolutely no doubt there's not a worse feeling as a parent. Not a worse feeling. Nothing, nothing will just break you apart faster than that. What's the biggest problem? That's a big one. But here's what he realized. That's not our biggest problem. The biggest problem is that I fail to recognize that the creator of the universe has got his eye on me. That's what I failed to recognize. You see, because here's what he thought. He thought faith or he thought the healing had something to do with proximity. That God's got to be right here beside me for this to be true and happen. He thought that this had to have something to do with being near. You've got to come with me. What he learned is he's always with you. One more thing before we go. There's no doubt in a congregation this side, this size, there are some of us who have been in this, in this very spot and we did not get the answer. You may go, your son will live. Instead, what you got was this. They may go, but I will make you live. The Greek word live is the word zoe. Interesting, isn't it? Life. To experience God's given gift of life. They may go, but I will make you live. And some of you heard that. And in the middle of your loss and your pain, I feel so, so bad for you. And I feel so sorry for you that you had to endure that kind of weightiness and heaviness in the world. But I do not feel as sorry for you as I am thankful for you. Because there are some of us here who need the perspective. There are some of us here who need to be in the presence of some of you who have gone through life's ugliest, ugliest thing. And we need to be around people like you who have somehow proven to us that you know what? You can still live. That he is still faithful. That yes, faith becomes a fight and you battle it out, but you, he's faithful. And he came back and he showed me it's going to be okay and he's going to make me live. And they went on. But he made me live. Thus, my testimony is this. 
I have been broken to pieces over and over and over. But he continues to live on through me. For you who've been there, thank you so much. Thank you so much for holding that line, keeping that faith. Some of us have not experienced that. And we thank you so much for your faith, for your strength, for your ability to go through those kind of difficult things. Let's pray. And we'll go. God, we love you and we thank you for your word and we thank you so much for all that you've done for us. But we ask that as you convict us and as you comfort us and as you help us sweep up the broken pieces of our life and as you help us celebrate the moments that you did come through, Lord, that you will always take us back to that place of full reliance on you. Lord, to where we learn that you are really all we need. We love you and we ask that you be patient with us as we continue to learn to love you better and be more faithful. Thank you for your son. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful afternoon.